Hello, my name is Daniel Block, or as my friends call me, Donya. I go to school in Connecticut. I was raised in Alabama, but the place that fascinates me so much that I decided to make this podcast series about it is the country my parents grew up in and which no longer exists, the Soviet Union. In this podcast, I'll be exploring the history of Soviet Jews and their experience of the major event of modern Jewish history, World War II. But before I begin that story, I want to tell you a little bit about how this subject matter came to interest me. To do that, I have to tell you about my babushka. For 45 years, my babushka started nearly every day by taking a crowded tram to the grade school where she taught literature. She finished nearly every day by taking another tram back home. In her tiny Moscow apartment, between a Russian neighbor who called her Zhedovka and passed out drunk in the elevator, and a Jewish neighbor who smuggled furniture from his workplace and sold it at a markup, there were always kids. My mother and uncle in the 60s and 70s, my brother and sister in the 80s, all eager for whatever candy she had picked up at the market on her way home. She read them poetry and bathed them in a metal pot of water and taught them the war songs she had sung to Red Army soldiers in the hospital when she was nine. Songs to stir their hearts with praise for the Red Army and love for the motherland. And then, in 1993, the nation cracked open and disappeared. Her family left for an American town called Birmingham. With no English and no knowledge of what Alabama might be, she came to help. The building Babushka moved into was right across from Birmingham's Reform Synagogue. Wednesdays and Sundays, after I got out of Hebrew school, my mother and I met Babushka outside her building and walked with her while she recited poems by memory. The poets she knew best were Alexander Pushkin, the first bard of Russia, a fiery and romantic soul killed in a duel at 37, and Alexander Bloch, an H short of my dad's own name, unfortunately unrelated, bard of the Bolshevik Revolution, a fiery and romantic soul who died of syphilis at 40. Quote, There are miracles. A wood sprite roams, a mermaid sits atop a branch, and unseen paths bear marks of unseen creatures, wrote Pushkin. Quote, With a bloody banner, unseen in the blizzard, untouched by bullets, crowned with white roses, Christ walks at their lead wrote Bloch. I had no clue who Christ was leading or what his bloody banner meant. I grew up speaking Russian, eating kasha, watching cartoon owls chase cartoon hedgehogs through an animated Siberia. But if someone asked me to find Russia on a map, I might have pointed to Tennessee. My parents didn't mean to raise me Russian. They simply came from Russia and happened to raise me. All I knew about its history was that there had been Pushkin, there had been Bloch, and because of some strange thing called communism, everyone in my family, except Babushka, spoke far more fondly of the former than they did the latter. I was far more sure what being Jewish meant, and that something about it didn't fit me. Soviets outlawed religion as a possible distraction from the people's common aim. Now, as new citizens of the land of no common aims, my parents consummated becoming American by becoming Jewish. I was the subject of this experiment, 
circumcised, slated for bar mitzvah, and forced to spend two days a week learning strange letters and keeping pace with prayers which everyone else somehow already knew. Worst of all were the kids, who spoke in a code somehow outside my reach, bringing up summer camps in Massachusetts and relatives in Israel. When I complained to my dad about feeling out of place, he said, go be friends with them. It's good to have friends who are Jewish like you. Instead, each time I left Hebrew school, I hurried through the lobby full of Southern Jewish fathers and sons talking sports and politics in their respective huddles to meet my mother standing alone outside the door. Then, together, we walked to Babushka's. Babushka knew she was Jewish only because it was stamped on her Soviet passport. Unlike my father, she never felt the need to learn prayers or light candles on Friday evenings, and when she came to my bar mitzvah, she seemed proud and entirely confused. Soon afterwards, my parents stopped making me go to Hebrew school as a reward for completing my bar mitzvah. From then on, when I visited Babushka, I kept my head down as I passed the temple and hoped no one coming in or out would recognize me. Around this time, searching for a new basis for my identity, I started trying to converse with Babushka. Instead of poetry, I asked to hear about the war, the space race, perestroika. Usually she couldn't recall the answer. Her memory had been worsening. She sometimes called me by the wrong name, and once, while reciting Pushkin, proclaimed, quote, There are miracles. A spider roams. A mermaid sits behind a steering wheel. But she was not familiar enough with modern life to speak about it either. My dad, acclimated to America by the hours spent reading CNN and Fox at his computer, would seize on my slightest provocation to argue for hours about the marvels of the free market, the benevolence of suburban safety, and the brilliance of entrepreneurs. But Babushka seemed to have no opinions on the world. I blew through every controversial thought I had that all drugs should be legalized, all billionaires jailed, all jails abolished. And this 80-year-old woman, who avoided vodka and had never smoked a cigarette, smiled and said, You're probably right. Still, when my father and I sparred at the kitchen table, it was Babushka that kept me arguing all evening. She never supplied me with the accounts of Soviet harmony or worker solidarity, which I hoped to wield against my dad's assertions of communism's utter failure. She never transformed into the committed Bolshevik general I hoped she would somehow alchemize into. And yet, in her unassuming trust of the world, she lived a quiet negation of my father's worldview. I never found a common language with Babushka. A little while after the poems left her memory, our names followed, and then language entirely. We found a perfect nursing home, a 30-minute drive away, where she could spend most of her day in the lively common room, hugging every nurse that passed by. As I waited to be buzzed in, I would meet her eyes through the glass door and watch her smile sheepishly, without a hint of recognition. When the door unlocked, I would sit down beside her and read her Pushkin. Sometimes, a line stirred her, and she would suddenly recite aloud along with me. But when she reached the limit of her memory and found her voice still soaring through the air, she would switch to singing songs of war. And then she would keep singing, as I read, 
as I gathered my things and left, as I went downstairs and got into my dad's car and drove home alone. This podcast is an attempt to tell the story of Soviet Jews like my babushka, who lived the 20th century on the other side of the Iron Curtain, reading Maxim Gorky instead of Philip Roth and singing war songs instead of Jewish prayers. It is an attempt to revisit their story, which Western narratives frequently reduce to only pain and suffering, and to paint a picture of the full complexity of Soviet Jewish life. And it is an attempt to see World War II, the central event of Jewish history and perhaps of the entire 20th century, from a perspective that is often left untold. My babushka passed away a year ago. This podcast is dedicated to her memory. Thank you for listening.